What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I am back after a great weekend in Arkansas. We have an absolutely loaded podcast for you today. We're talking Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, the NBA playoffs. It's absolutely loaded. Going to be a great show. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. It finally happened. Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the New York Jets. If you haven't seen all the details, here they are. So Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets along with the number 15 pick in this year's draft, the fifth round pick in this year's draft. All that coming from the Packers heading to New York to the Jets. Now the Packers are receiving the number 13 overall pick in this year's draft, so they basically just swapped the 15th and the 13th pick. They're also receiving a second-round pick in this year's draft, pick number 42, a sixth-round pick this year, pick number 207, and then next year, they're going to receive at least a second-rounder. That second-rounder is going to turn into a first-rounder if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the total offensive snaps this year with the New York Jets. This has finally happened. We don't have to hear about it anymore. Aaron Rodgers is officially... In the AFC East, the AFC East is loaded now between the Bills, the Jets, and the Dolphins. And of course, you can't sleep on Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots to know that they're going to put together something to be competitive. They're going to put together something. Now, before I get into my winners and losers of this trade, because I can tell you right now who the winners and losers of this trade are. Usually we have to wait a couple years, see who these draft picks end up being, all that kind of stuff. We don't have to do that on this one. Let's compare this trade to when Brett Favre was traded from the Packers to the Jets. The Packers sent Favre to the Jets for a fourth-round pick that turned into, I believe, a first-round pick because he played 80% of the snaps. Wait, no, excuse me. Excuse me. That's incorrect. Here were the terms on that that Packers pick, or on the Packers trade with Brett Favre. So So Brett Favre gets sent to the Jets... For a fourth-round pick, a fourth-round pick that would turn into a third-round pick if Brett Favre played half the snaps that year, it would become a second-round pick if he played 70% of the snaps that year and the Jets made the playoffs, and then it would become a first-round pick if he played in 80% of the snaps and the Jets made it to the Super Bowl, which obviously did not happen. So when we look at this trade that is extremely similar to Brett Favre's trade and we compare them, I don't know how you don't say that the Packers are the winners of this trade. The loser is the Jets, without a doubt. Okay, they gave up multiple picks. Okay, they're going to give up three picks within the first two rounds in these next two drafts for a quarterback that is 39 years old and declining. Okay, you can't deny the fact that Aaron Rodgers had the worst year of his career last year. Now, to be fair, the worst year of Aaron Rodgers' career is still better than 90% of the quarterbacks in the NFL. But still, either way, he's declining. He's not as good as he was. He's 39 this year. He'll be 40 next year. His contract doesn't end until 2026, and you're paying him a whole lot of money until 2026. The Jets have to win the Super Bowl either this year or next year in order for this trade to be considered a win. And Jonathan, why does that have to be this year or next year? Why can't it be further down the road? Well, that's because he's going to be 40 years old next year. Okay, their Super Bowl window is 
tiny. Okay, the only person who could throw a ball through the through the Jets Super Bowl window is Greg Maddox. He's the only one who can do it. It's tiny. They have two years to do it, and I don't really know if they have the roster to do it. I don't think they have the roster to do it as of right now. They got to win it either this year or next year, and then their Super Bowl window closes, and then they go right back to square one, right back where they were in 2021 and in 2018 when they drafted Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson. They're back to looking for their new franchise quarterback. Meanwhile, as I mentioned you know, a couple seconds ago, Aaron Rodgers' contract doesn't end until 2026. There's a legit possibility that they could still be paying Aaron Rodgers a lot of money while he sits behind a quarterback, while he doesn't even play. And here's the thing that we know about Aaron Rodgers. He's not exactly going to be like Joe Flacco about this. You know, he's not going to sit behind a guy and mentor him. He's not going to be Alex Smith. He's not going to sit in front of a guy and mentor him based off of everything that we saw in Green Bay and everything he did with Jordan Love. He's not going to mentor Zach Wilson. He's not going to mentor whoever, you know, the Jets decide to draft in the 2025 NFL draft. That's not going to happen. It'll just bring more drama. And that's the last thing you want around a young quarterback, whether they're starting or they're sitting or or they're riding the pine behind, you know, Aaron Rodgers or whoever it is. The loser of this trade, without a doubt, is the New York Jets. The winner is, of course, then the Green Bay Packers. They get multiple firsts, more than likely. I'm assuming Aaron Rodgers is going to play more than 65% of the snaps this next season. They're going to get multiple firsts. At a minimum, they're getting three second-round or better picks in these next two drafts for a guy who is never going to play another snap for him. That's impressive. That's hard to do. They get a pick swap, right? They move up in this year's draft. I know it's only two spots, but still, you move up a little bit. It's a solid return, all in all, everything that everything that they got. Okay, because they should have enough picks to rebuild around Jordan Love if, you know, Jordan Love ends up being the guy for them. You know, we watch him play five or six games this year, and it becomes apparent that he's that he's that guy. That that could definitely happen. They also have enough picks that they can go find their next quarterback and rebuild around him if they don't like Jordan Love. Packers have a lot of flexibility now. This is a really good trade for them. They got a very good return on Aaron Rodgers, a guy who, as I said, wasn't going to play another snap for them. I still can't believe that the Jets gave up as much as they did. You know, I'm sitting here kind of half expecting like, hey, they'll give up like a first-round pick and then that'll be it. No, they gave up multiple picks. That's that's insane. But the ultimate winner are the NFL fans. Okay, we don't have to hear about this anymore. Okay, so now you can sit at home and whenever you turn on ESPN or FS1 or you listen to some podcast that's not this one, even though I don't know why you listen to any other podcast that isn't this one, that we, we got all you need right here at Shooting with. Instead of hearing them talk about Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets, you can hear them talk about how your favorite team messed up on draft night. It'll be great. It'll be so much better than listening to people talk about Aaron Rodgers. That's all, my, that's all I have to say on that. Hopefully I don't have to say Aaron Rodgers' name until, you know, August or September, whenever the NFL season starts. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into all the NBA playoff stuff. No crazy NFL draft stuff today. That'll all come out on Thursday, the day of round one. So we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. The NBA playoffs thus far have been absolutely incredible. 
And that's all we're talking about the rest of the way out. So let's start in the Eastern Conference. Let's start with the series that have not been surprising. The 76ers officially sweep the Nets. The 76ers are just better, okay? I think everybody knew that. Going into the series, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, as I've said, they had a losing record post-All-Star break. This was not a playoff team. The 76ers proved that. They go in. They sweep them. Now, what does this mean for the Nets? What do they do going forward? Mikal Bridges, a lot of people like him. As I've said, I think he's a two. I don't think he's a one. Reminds me a lot of Chris Middleton, just the way that he plays, the build, the defense, you know, being able to play both ways. Still still being able to get his own shot. I just don't think he's a real true number one. So because of that, and the plethora of wings that the Nets have, I fully expect for the Nets to try and make a run at Damian Lillard in the offseason, because make no mistake about it, unless the Portland Trailblazers land the number one overall pick, Damian Lillard will indeed be requesting a trade looking to move on. Okay, when we look at the Nets, their history shows that they want quick fixes. They want to quick they want to fix things immediately. They don't want to rebuild through the draft or anything like that. They want to make these big trades and hope that bringing in a bunch of talent does the trick. Okay, we've seen them do it. We've seen them do it twice now. Okay, they made several moves to get Joe Johnson, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce all on the same team. They made moves to get Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie all on the same team. And when that didn't work, they're like, hey, we can go get Ben Simmons. That should help. It didn't, obviously. Okay, Damian Lillard has quick fix written all over him. The Nets are going to try and make a trade for him this offseason if he becomes available. The Celtics are up 3-1 to one on the Hawks. Celtics are just a better team. Okay, we knew this when I did my team rankings last week. It's pretty apparent. Celtics are just better. They're deeper. Uh, Trey Young, you know, he's been better at home, but as I said, the Celtics are just deeper. Plus, they have the two best players in the series, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, have both been really, really good. The Hawks are just simply outmatched. They're simply outmatched. Now, let's move on to the surprising series. The Knicks are up 3-1 to one on the Cavs. I can't. It makes sense, but I don't like it because I didn't pick it. Okay, the Cavs' lack of talent at the wing position is being shown in the series. Karis LeVert, cool first guy off your bench, not a starter. They need more talent on the wing. They don't have any really great wing defenders either. They need some more depth on that part of their roster. But despite the wing depth, and that's something that people have been talking a lot about, that is not why they're down 3-1. to one. It's because Jalen Brunson has been the best player in this series and he's flat-out outperforming Darius Garland. And when you combine Jalen Brunson playing as well as he has this series with either a good performance from Randall or Barrett, the Knicks are tough to beat because they play defense and they rebound and they don't turn the ball over. So let's compare Darius Garland, a guy who I love. I own a lot of stock in Darius Garland. I own a lot of stock in Darius Garland. Compared to Jalen Brunson, Game 1, Jalen Brunson goes for 27 points and 2 assists on 11 of 24 shooting. Garland, just not very aggressive, goes for 17 points, only one assist, 7 of 13 shooting. Game two, the game that the Cavs win easily, is the best game Garland has played. It is the only game that Darius Garland has outperformed Jalen Brunson. Okay, That's the game where Garland goes for 32 points and 7 assists on 8 of 17 shooting and goes 10 of 11 from the free throw line. And Jalen Brunson scores 20 points, dishes out 6 assists, and goes 5 of 17 from the field. And the Cavs dominated that game. Game three, Jalen Brunson goes for 21 and 6. Garland goes for 10 and 3 on 4 of 21 shooting. Game four, 
Brunson goes for 29 points and 6 assists with while shooting 50% from the field. While Garland goes for 23 points and 10 assists while shooting 9 of 16 from the field. Garland has to he has to play better than Jalen Brunson. And he should play better than Jalen Brunson. I think I do at least. I hold Darius Garland in higher regard than I do Jalen Brunson. And I love Jalen Brunson. I think he's a really good player. But there's no reason, no reason for him to be the best player in this series. It should be Garland or Mitchell. Okay, the Cavs could have won game four. But the Knicks, you know, you, you got to tip your cap here to, to Tom Thibodeau and just the way that he coaches the defensive side of the ball. They completely took Donovan Mitchell out of that game. So even though Garland came out and played a really good third quarter, it didn't matter. Mitchell played his worst game of the series. He scored 11 points on 5 of 18 shooting. Meanwhile, R.J. Barrett, hello, he scored 26. He didn't even make a 3. He played really, really well. The Knicks, they're just playing better. Okay, they're getting every loose ball. They're rebounding well. They're out coaching the Cavs. I mean, Tibbs has done a really good job this series. Okay, they're like I said, they're defending well. Brunson's playing out of his mind. And Josh Hart's been awesome. Jeez, I love Josh Hart. Love Josh Hart. We love Josh Hart here, here at the Shooting the Schmidt podcast. Golly. I liked him when he was in Portland. Liked him when he was in New Orleans. Liked him when he was coming out of Villanova. He just knows how to win. He's a winning player. He's a role player that everybody wants. He rebounds. He plays defense. He can knock down open shots. I wish he was a little bit better free throw shooter. But outside of that, he's awesome. He's been so great for them. And then when we look at Cleveland, Isaac Okoro has been an absolute zero offensively. As I've already said, the wing position for the Cavs needs to be addressed in the offseason. You pair that with Darius Garland not being super aggressive, not playing great. You, you know, that and Mobley hasn't you know been awesome offensively. All of a sudden, the Knicks have gone from, hopefully we can get out of the first round, hopefully we can beat Cleveland to we could play in the Eastern Conference Finals because the Bucks are down 3-1 to to the Miami Heat, which then takes us to that series. The Heat win game one when Giannis gets hurt. Makes sense. Happens. Then the Bucks come out in game two and run the Heat out of the building. They dominated from start to finish in game two. The Heat don't even score 90 points. Drew Holiday was awesome. Chris Middleton played great. You know, and you're sitting there, I'm sitting at home, like, here we go. This is who the Bucks are. They don't need Giannis to beat the Heat. And then game three happens. And the Heat run them out of the building. The Bucks don't break 90. I mean, it's it's an absolute, you know, murder. Okay, the Heat crush the Bucks. And then game four, Giannis returns. It's like, all right, here we go. Going into the game, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Giannis is back. There's no way that they lose this game. If you had told me before the game started that Giannis was going to have a triple-double and Brooke Lopez would go for 36, I'd have said that the Bucks won by 20. But Jimmy Butler showed up. He went for 56. He scored 56 points on 19 of 28 shooting. 3 of 8 from 3, and 15 of 18 from the free throw line. Super efficient across the board. He worked Chris Middleton over. Late in the game, Miami would come down with Drew Holiday guarding Jimmy Butler. Chris Middleton guarding Kyle Lowry. Jimmy Butler would set a screen for Lowry. Middleton and Holiday would switch, and Butler would take Middleton one-on-one. There were a few times here and there where they, they couldn't get the switch, 
That was only like twice, and it didn't matter. Jimmy Butler just posted up Drew Holiday. Okay, Jimmy Butler hunted Chris Middleton, who's an excellent defender, and he absolutely cooked him whenever he wanted to. Okay, I don't know why the Bucks didn't try to fight over the screen more to keep from switching, because for me, like this, this seems like common sense. If you see that the offensive team is hunting a specific matchup, fight over the screen and don't let it happen. Is that not just common sense? Like, if if Miami wants Middleton defending Butler, then it would make sense for me that the Bucks don't want Middleton defending Butler. Like, there's a reason why Drew Holiday has been following Butler around for most of the game. It's because the Bucks want Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday to, to defend him and not, not Middleton. Yet, for some reason, they, they didn't want to fight over the screen, and Jimmy Butler got whatever he wanted against Chris Middleton. Now, look, Jimmy Butler is great. In Game 5, they're up 3-1. to one. People in Miami are excited. People in New York are excited. But let me be the first to tell you that the Bucks are going to win three in a row. Okay, there's no way, no way, that Miami goes into Milwaukee in Game 5 and wins. There's no way that if this goes to a Game 7, that Miami walks into Milwaukee and wins. It's not happening. The Heat's only chance to win this series is in Game 6. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to bet on the best player in the world to show up on the road in that game and carry the Bucks past the Heat because he's the best player in the world. He's the best player in the world. Once again, Jimmy Butler, you were great in Game 5. Or Game 4, excuse me. You were great in Game 4. You scored 56. You, you set a record. Like, that's awesome. Super entertaining. I, I couldn't fall asleep because of it. Yet, it's not going to matter. Because the Bucks are better and they're they're about to win three in a row. Simple as that. Moving on to the Western Conference. And I'll just be honest, the entire Western Conference isn't surprising. I think everything that's happened has been very easy to kind of see happening. Okay, so like let's let's start with the Nuggets, right? The Nuggets, they're up three one on the Timberwolves. Makes sense. The Nuggets, they're flat out better. Is it kind of surprising that they didn't pull off a sweep? Yeah, but usually teams don't get swept. That doesn't happen very often. Okay, teams have pride. It's game four. Anthony Edwards comes out, plays a great game. Jeez, he's so good. I love watching him play. I really hate that they're about to get bounced tonight at 9 o'clock when they get beat by him. But, you know, not surprising there, ultimately, that the Nuggets should win that series pretty handily. As soon as, you know, you hear that Kawhi Leonard is hurt, you know that the Clippers have no chance. Okay, the Suns are up 3-1. Kawhi not playing again tonight. The Suns are probably going to close him out. Kings and Warriors tied at 2-2. Makes sense. Not surprising. The Warriors don't lose at home. Kings are young. It's really hard to win games on the road in the playoffs, especially when you're a young team. Now, the interesting thing about this series is obviously that the Aaron Fox is banged up. And this is the Warriors' chance to go steal one because they're not winning Game 7 on the road in Sacramento. That crowd's going to be worth at least 10 points if it goes to a Game 7. Sacramento's about to be rocking. So this is the Warriors' chance to go on the road and steal one. We'll see if they do it. We'll see if they do it. I, I, We'll see. I don't know if I'm going to pick them to do it quite yet. But either way, I mean, that, game, that series not surprising at all. And then, you know, the Lakers go up 3-1 last night. LeBron closes out the Grizzlies and Dylan Brooks in overtime. 
And this series went from something that really intrigued me to just something that annoys me, something that just gets on my nerves. Because all we're talking about is Dylan Brooks. No one cares about Dylan Brooks, okay? Dylan Brooks isn't going to be a Grizzly after this year because he's not that good of a defender and he can't shoot the basketball. The Grizzlies lack depth. We're seeing that. We're seeing that. You know, they had a chance to win last night, but John Morant didn't play great. Bain obviously goes for 36, plays awesome. But it wasn't enough because this Lakers team is really good. And it's so interesting just watching LeBron and how his role has changed over the years. He goes for 22-20 and last night. Wild. Just doing all the things. He's gone from being the star, which don't get me wrong, like he still is a star, but he's not, you know, the cat like he is the catalyst of the offense, but he's he's not the primary scorer. You know, he's not just taking guys one on one, bullying guys up, up underneath the basket and, you know, scoring thirty three a night. It's not what he's doing anymore. Part of that's the AIDS, part of that is just what this Lakers team needs. But he's been really good. He continues to show why he's one of the greatest basketball players to ever walk the earth. So yeah, the West, not super not super surprising. So the Nuggets should close out the Timberwolves tonight. The Suns should close out the Clippers tonight. I, I think as of right now, I, I take the Warriors to go in and win game five and close out the Kings in six. And then the Lakers will close out the Grizzlies probably in game six when they get them back at home. I don't think they're going to be able to go into Memphis and get another one, especially with Ja playing. So that's going to do it here. At Shooting the Schmidt's going to do a lot of NFL draft stuff. Potentially tomorrow, but probably on Thursday. We'll just kind of see what my schedule looks like. So thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with another podcast for y'all on either Wednesday or Thursday. I will talk to y'all then.